Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Paul Calvisi joins me. So Paul likes to say it can always get worse, and it did on Sunday in Denver. There was the loss of the game, there was the loss of Colt McCoy, and there was the loss of the defense's ability to stop the run. Let's get into it. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 626, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Hit in the backfield and down he goes so for the loss. J.J. Watt nailed it. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcast. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcast. He's in the 10, cap of 5, he's in again! Some more! I'm trying to defrost my face just to be able to talk out there. You know what, I really shouldn't talk because I'm looking at the forecast for what's coming in Denver. By Wednesday, it's going to be negative one. Uh, as and then on Thursday, the low is going to be negative fifteen, and negative one is a high on Thursday. We went to dinner on Saturday night with uh, former Valley sportscaster Vic Lombardi, yours truly, and Ron Wolfley. Wolf likes to flex that he's from Buffalo. He was so cold walking the five minutes from the hotel to the restaurant through the downtown Denver Mall area, which is an outdoor pavilion, basically. I mean, we were freezing walking, and Vic had like a light jacket on, Denver resin. He's like, are you guys really cold? Are, are, are you serious? He's like, I could play golf in this right now. We're like, get us out of here. So, yeah, we have a newfound appreciation for the AZ. At least I do. Now, at kickoff, it was 39 degrees, but when that sun goes down and then you add the wind chill, I'm guessing it was close to about – 30, maybe 31. I don't think it dipped below 30, but I do recall one, I think it was in the second half, a sideline hit, Dave Pash asking just how you were doing. How cold <laughs> was it? And I believe the quote was, it's dang cold, Paul, Dave. is. Did I really sound that cold? Because I was, I was sort of curious why Dave asked that question. So uh, well, t- I didn't hear the teeth rattling yeah, or anything yeah. like that. Normally, you know, they really don't care. They're in their climate-controlled booth, you know, to heck with the sideline reporters, okay? But you know what? It really wasn't that bad until the sun went down on the Cardinals sideline because the sun was on you. It was around – 40 degrees maybe, so it wasn't bad. It certainly wasn't an excuse for anything going on. There are heat blowers on either end of the bench. The benches are heated. That was the best part about doing the halftime show (laughs) as I got to enjoy four glorious minutes on the heated bench. Oh, my goodness. Everyone should have one of those in their house, in their man cave. Get, like, a heated bench you can watch the games on. That, that Honestly, that is something I re- Calvisi Consulting needs to bring to market, those NFL heated benches that you can put in your basement, especially in the Midwest. That would be outstanding to have something to watch your games on. You do have it in the vehicles, though, don't you? Don't you have the heated <laughs> seats in the you vehicles? Do. But, yes. uh, honestly, how often do you use that That's in Arizona, true. right? How often do you ever reach for the heated seat function uh, I mean, come on. In fact, you know what? If they're trying to add that on to any car you're buying in Arizona, no, I'm not paying for that dealer add-on. Forget it. So a cold Sunday afternoon in Denver made even more cold by the fact that the Cardinals lost 24-15, to officially eliminated from the playoffs. They have now lost five in a row. Excuse me. They have now lost four in a row. Only feels like five in a row. And the second straight game, Paul, that this team has lost – the starting quarterback. It was three plays into the game against the New England Patriots. On Sunday, it was three plays into the second half. Colt McCoy knocked out of the game with a concussion. And at that point, the game, literally, it flipped. Cardinals couldn't do anything on offense, and the defense couldn't stop the Broncos' rushing attack. 
Yeah, it was game over at that point. As the Cardinals found out the hard way when Trace McSorley came in, they just really had no chance to move the football. And I think once the team realized it, not only did the defense get worn down a little bit, as Cliff Kingsbury cited after the game, it was definitely something that took the wind out of the sideline. There's no question about it. But here's the thing. On the Colt McCoy, I don't know what the cameras caught, but he goes crashing into the back of Kelvin Beecham. And I don't know what was more punishing, him running into Kelvin Beecham or his head getting slammed into the turf. The video boards at the Mile High Stadium are not good. They're like out of 1993. There's a reason why they're putting $100 million plus into that stadium, and it's starting with the video boards. So we got one measly replay. That's all I saw. That's all I have seen to date. And, and, I, and it looked like Colt's head went into the turf. Here's the thing. From our sideline vantage point, and I wasn't the only one, he got up almost on his knees, and then flopped backwards. It almost looked like World Cup-esque or WWE-esque. Like he flopped back, and I was like, okay, wait a minute. Is that sort of a Manu Ginobili? He's embellishing that? But no, he he like blacked out on a delayed reaction of some sort. It was very strange, and that's where – I mean, first off, the sideline reacted because they knew it was a hard collision. And then they were sort of poised, and people were sort of in a starting position like a lot of the trainers. Are we going out? Are we going out? And then they saw him flop back onto his back, and then everyone raced out there. And and the whole sideline emptied. Everyone was out there around Cole McCoy. That's the sort of respect he, he generates from this team and, and his locker room. And then Kelvin Beecham came off, and then Beach was the only one on the sideline because he was getting medical attention. You know, we talked about it. It was remarkable he even went back into the game considering the way his leg got contorted and the knee went the wrong way and it was a knee and ankle they were dealing with and they had a brace and they taped it up and props to Kelvin Beecham for even getting back out there, especially as the game got out of hand. But, yeah, it was scary. And then when they brought out the cart and I couldn't see anything because all the players around there, you're really fearing the worst. And then all of a sudden, Colt was a very determined Colt McCoy got up and walked off under his own power. A couple of things watching the replays afforded by Fox TV because in real time watching it and then watching it back later on Sunday night, it looked like not only the collision with Beecham, but maybe a knee or a foot as he's falling down, maybe a Bronco defender got him as well on the way down. That's right. Pash cited that. Maybe it was a knee of a defender that came colliding into his helmet. I did not see him, though, kind of get up and, to your point, and then fall backwards. I did. Cameras did show him laying flat on his back. In that point, it did look scary because there was, I think it was Chad Cook, the assistant uh, trainer, raced out immediately. And you could tell he had both hands around Colt's head to make sure he was stabilized. To wow. not Don't yeah. move. Yep. And then – all of a sudden, you cut to a commercial, and you're back, and all of a sudden, you see Colt McCoy standing up. He's like, yeah, I don't want no part of that card. I'll just walk on my own power into that locker room. We don't see him again. Head coach Cliff Kingsbury post game telling you concussion, concussion protocol, what that means the rest of this week, the rest of this season, who knows. But that was a deflating point in that game. Now, I'll give Trace McSorley credit. He finished that drive. It ended with a Matt Prater 55-yard field goal to make it 9-3 to with 8.55 left to go in the game. But after that, two straight three and outs, an interception, and then the James Conner touchdown run just could not do anything on offense. And that's maybe to be expected 
It's not your backup quarterback. You're talking about your third-string quarterback when you lose Colt McCoy and now are faced with Trace McSorley. And once again, it's a different skill set, right? Two games prior, you went from Kyler to Colt McCoy, and Colt got virtually no reps during the week. And in particular, his lack of chemistry with Hollywood Brown, game conditions, he had never worked with Hollywood before, and so they couldn't even rep it during the week. And now, same thing, Trace McSorley obviously is a very different quarterback than Colt McCoy. And, and although I think there were plays to be made, Trace's accuracy suffered at times. There was one naked boot out to the right side and on the run, and there was a receiver wide open, and he airmailed him. There were obviously some other, you know, missed throws. And the interception by Justin Simmons, I asked Club Kingsbury after the game, was that more of a misfire or a miscommunication? He said it was the latter. As the receiver went one way, the pass went the other. And so these are the sort of things that happen. We don't get reps during the week. At the same time, you know, if you're telling me Trace McSorley is the quarterback down the stretch these final three games, they're going to have to re-engineer the offense and, and the approach and, and figure out what his strengths are because uh, I'm guessing the Cardinals are going to be a decided underdog in every one of those games. Forget the competition and what they're bringing. Just, uh, you know, Trace McSorley, it, it reminds you of a game in August. And, and what we talk about here recently uh, on Cover 2 is that a lot of these games in December now are getting that feel of what you have in August where the games don't count but they matter. They matter to the individual players. you know. So as you're going through the depth chart and the Cardinals, and we had this debate, do the Cardinals currently lead the NFL in number of players that have seen action, or does that belong to the Denver Broncos? Weren't they top two? At last check, Farrell Cooper was the 77th different player to hit the field this season. And but then you added Nate Hairston and Manny Jones. So now you're up to 79, maybe close to 80. So I haven't gotten updated numbers yet. And Tennessee is in there somewhere Correct. in that mix. So, and I'm not making an excuse. I'm just saying that that's the sort of ball we're going to see down the stretch. Uh, and and they're gonna, it's going to be a challenge to figure something out because I'm certainly – not expecting much from the Cardinals' offense based on what we've seen from from Trace McStor McSorley so far in the NFL. There was a point there in the fourth quarter, and I believe it was Pash who initiated the conversation. But back in the day, Paul, there was that fourth preseason game, and it was always, seemingly always, against the Denver Broncos, either here or yeah. there, and Pash made the point that in the second half, based off the personnel – and how the Cardinals looked, it felt and looked like the fourth preseason game right before the start of the regular season. You know what's ironical about that is Dave Pash really doesn't know anything That's true. about the fourth preseason game because he's always conveniently unavailable <laughs> for an ESPN college football debut. That usually coincides with the opening weekend of college ball on ESPN. So what happens, Gree? It ends up trickling down to us. And so you've called the fourth and final preseason game. I've called it both on the TV and the radio side. And, yeah, half the time it seemingly is in Denver. So it, it did smack of that. There, there's, there's no question when you're looking at exactly who was on the field and what the circumstances were. And I think they had 18,000 no-shows. And, and that is remarkable for Denver. I mean, as bad as the Broncos have been, and it's seven straight years where they haven't made the playoffs. That is a Broncos town, even though the Avs won the Stanley Cup championship last year and they had 750,000 people out at the Avs Stanley Cup parade. It's a Broncos town first and foremost, and they had a lot of no-shows yesterday. Well, the offense no-showed, especially in the second half. 
Overall, Cardinals finish with a season-low 240 yards of total offense. Again, when you're down to your third-string quarterback, it's hard. When you're playing from behind, you become one-dimensional, and the defense knows it, and that was a very good Broncos defense, number four scoring defense in the league, and they held the Cardinals to 15 points, really nine points, and then that last James Conner touchdown with 6.01 to go in the ballgame. But what really bothered me, though, in that game, Paul, was the lack of response from the defense in the second half. And I know Kingsbury brought up to you that the defense was on the field way too much. But when you ask Vance Joseph, Buda Baker, or any defender all season long, what do they always say? How many times we are asked to go on the field is how many times we need to do our job and get the ball back in the hands of the offense. And they could not stop the Broncos on three of the last four possessions or three of four possessions after the Cardinals took a 9-3 lead. And that was disheartening considering how well the defense played in the first half. Yeah, The time of possession was only, what, five, almost six minutes, six minutes of disparity. So, yes, it was advantage Broncos' time of possession, and the Cardinals' defense saw more a lot, a lot more time on the field than the Cardinals' offense, obviously. But it wasn't that wasn't that lopsided where you can use that as an excuse. I will say this. I was surprised that the Broncos did not start running the ball earlier in the game. When they were stalling late first quarter, second quarter, why are they continually going to the air with Brett Rippon? I get it to some degree. They're looking out there and they see the Cardinals are missing their top three corners and you got a combination of Christian Matthew, a seventh-round rookie, and you have Nate Harrison got a few snaps. And then Jace Whitaker. When you saw Jace Whitaker over Jerry Judy one-on-one, okay. And they really couldn't capitalize on that all that often. At the same time, every time seemingly Latavius Murray was getting the ball, he was ripping it and gashing the Cardinals' run defense. And they obviously made the halftime adjustment. And J.J. Watt said as much to the media afterwards. They obviously came out with a different approach after halftime, and then they ran it down the Cardinals' throat. And and that that is where the game turned. Yeah, you can cite the interception by Trace McSorley to Justin Simmons' second of the game, and and obviously you know they went on to take that 24-9 leads, two-score lead at that point. But um, but you know to me it was the running of the football, and then once again it's demoralizing to a defense. So to your point, I I think that was the cause and effect. It was that first offensive snap for the Broncos in the second half. They get the ball down 9-3. First play, Murray, 35-yard run. And you're like, "Uh uh-oh, wait a second, what's going on? And then later on, there would be a Marlon Mack 17-yard run. It's like, wait a second, you had held the Broncos to 55 rushing yards in the first half. Broncos finished with a season-best 168 on the ground and this was not a good run offense they ranked going into week 15 25th in the league but you wouldn't know it watching the Broncos run through the Cardinals defense and they were doing it with backup guards the starting guard went out with an eye injury then his replacement went out with a back injury so they were depleted on that offensive line and that was one of the reasons J.J. Watt obviously was was getting home and piling up absurd numbers in that game. So why would it be so easy for them to all of a sudden run the ball? And yeah, they had big running backs. Latavius Murray is a big dude. I mean, to see a six foot three, two hundred thirty pound running back and and he's once again, you're testing a defense's want and will when you're coming at it at a defense with a running back like that. And so um, you know, they controlled the game with with that run game. 
And, uh, you know, when the Cardinals couldn't get it in gear and it was obvious that they were struggling with a third-string quarterback, yeah, I, I think the defense got a bit of a reality check and it became a different ball game. Unfortunate. Again, the Cardinals now 4-10 and 10 after hitting double digits in wins a year ago. Here they are with double-digit losses in 2022. Three games to go. Tampa Bay on Christmas night. We'll get into that here momentarily. But when you look at what happened and what didn't happen Sunday, anything else stand out to you, Paul? Because you walk into that game, and yes, the battle of the backups, Colt McCoy much better than a Brett Rippon. McCoy obviously gets hurt, but this was, and I know it's on paper, this was a winnable ball game. But how many times this season have we looked at the opponent? Oh, yeah, Cardinals stack up very well. They have more talent. But talent only goes so far. You have to execute, and it wasn't the self-inflicted mistakes that we have seen in games past. There were a few, but not a lot. This was just a team that did not execute whether it was on offense or defense. Yeah, I think in the first half, I was surprised Cole McCoy missed a few receivers. His he act- seemed to be high. They, yep. they were sailing on him a little bit. Yep, definitely. Uh, I think we can all agree on that. We've seen Colt more accurate. Uh, at the same time, you know, Marquise Hollywood-Brown, the absence thereof, didn't have much of an impact on the game again. They haven't been able to really in- incorporate him very much. You know, D-Hop had some success against Patrick Sertan, who got a lot of props and praise from all the receivers I talked to. They called him definitely a top-five corner in the league, maybe the best feet in the league. He's a guy who will travel all over the defense, so the Broncos have themselves a real franchise corner and Patrick Sertan. Even even so, and they have good safeties, you know, I thought the Cardinals would be able to, to throw the ball with better success. They obviously have been running the ball. Here's the thing. When you have your 10th different offensive line combination – and Billy Price is working with a different combo of guards. Again, Will Hernandez on his right, and now uh, Max Garcia on his left, correct, before Max went out with injury. And so it's just it's tough. You had two walkthrough practices going into this game, a Wednesday and Thursday, and then a Friday practice, which is anything but physical. They didn't put on pads. So I, I think you're seeing the effect that is taking on certain aspects of the offense in particular, maybe even the defense and and the lack of run defense, the lack of physicality at times. Because sometimes you get into the game and, you know, if you haven't really experienced that during the week, and especially those offensive linemen, it doesn't take much where if you're not in sync on that combo block or, you know, you're not used to working with a guy in the splits. And, you know, like you, we talked to some of those offensive linemen. It's a challenge to play with new guys. It's not just plug and play up front. And so I think that definitely impacted the Cardinals. Colt was under duress too often. And so that, that to me, definitely stood out in this game. And it, and it makes you wonder what's feasible, what's realistic in terms of expectations the rest of the way. Well, Calvin Beecham, what's his status moving forward? Are we looking at a brand-new right tackle? Beecham's the only one who has played every single game. What's the – What's the Paul Calvisi slogan? Oh, yeah. Beach and the boys or beach and the backups? Come on, let's get it right. Beach and the backups. That's what we call them. It's the 50s cover band, beach and the backups. And then you can just, you know, whoever's available, session musicians, whoever wants to step in as along with Kelvin Beecham, you, you're part of the backups. You know, he's the marquee guy. But, yeah, when you're seeing Cody Ford out there at right tackle for a few plays before Beach miraculously came back into the game, the degree of difficulty is extremely real right now. Let, let's put it that way. 
And so with Tampa Bay coming in and motivation, because obviously they still have as good a shot as anyone to go ahead and win that division and host a playoff game and the Bruce Arians factor. And it's not just B.A., it's Todd Bowles is on yeah, that staff. Darn near the entire yeah. coaching staff. Yes, yeah. so they're coming back in to the AZ on Christmas night. You you can bet they're not happy about having to travel over Christmas. So if you got to play it, you might as well win it. It counts for them. So I'm expecting you're going to get a motivated Tampa team, especially the manner in which they just lost. Uh, Tom Brady had tied a career high with four turnovers, and they blew that massively. That usually does not happen for Tommy. And uh, so so we'll see. And then all the speculation out there about Brady and all the different spots he might go next season, that has already started uh, prematurely. But, you know, it, it was a tough locker room, again, Gree. Other than the Trey McBride storyline, and Trey was great after the game, and he, he hopped up on the – on the counter, he sat down, and I did appreciate him, you know, sharing just what the experience was like. Obviously, it's disappointing to lose the game, but it was a very memorable game for him. He'll look back you know, on his career. And every, when he made that big 29-yard catch and run, there were about two dozen fans who just vaulted up and were going bananas about 10 rows behind the Cardinals bench. So that was cool to see. He was on the field before the game with family and friends, grew up going to Broncos games. Uh, so, But look, and you know what? It was good news. It was a career game for Trey McBride. He's starting to look a little more confident. We've talked about that. That is something that can carry over from season to season, confidence in young guys. Um, so just like to see my Jay Sanders and Cameron Thomas play some more snaps other than 10 and 11 respectively. That stood out. McBride, 86% of the offensive snaps, second highest total for him this season, tied his career high with four receptions, set a career high with 55 receiving yards, and you're right. You could hear your conversation with McBride postgame, how much that meant to him to do that in front of his family and friends and then also balance we just lost how much can I have that smile on my face how much can I feel good about what I did because the reality is I'm walking out of this building with my teammates and we just lost 24 to 15 and you have no idea who's going to be back not only are you a four-win team right now which automatically means there will be change but you have almost 30 pending free agents you know, the potential for change is huge. Uh, there's the strong potential of a different decision maker when it comes to final roster decisions based on all the reports we saw over the weekend. Multiple reports now from NFL Network that the Cardinals are prepared to move away from Steve Kime. So what exactly does that mean? You know, CBS Sports was reporting it as well. We've seen ESPN echoing some of those reports. So you know, when, when the wording is future certainly in doubt, we'll see when and if he ends up coming back. That's the report word for word from NFL Network. I think the players realize that, you know what, it's in their best interest more than ever to put good play on film because who knows who's going to be looking at that film a month from now. Well, and it's not just those young players, but how about some of those veterans? Is there going to be a next season? Is there going to be a team that wants – you whether it's if it's not the Cardinals and if it's someone else and I'll go back to J.J. Watt and just what he was able to do in that first half alone three sacks three quarterback hits three tackles for loss one force fumble and one pass defense which really was a bat down at the line of scrimmage but it goes as a pass defense that was all in the first half Paul it reminded me of Chandler Jones at Tennessee 
It really did. I, I just the crazy amount of plays he was making and the sacks he was registering, the epic five-sack game against Taylor Luan against Tennessee in week one, 2021, and why Mike Vrabel and company didn't give Taylor Luan some help off the edge, I, I still don't know what they were doing to this day. But it, that game was also notable because J.J. Watt was mic'd up, and, and you heard him say on the bench, it was not captured on NFL Films, that – opening game against Tennessee where he's yelling at Chandler Jones, are you serious? Are you serious, Chandler Jones? As he ended up with five sacks. Well, that's what a lot of players are saying to J.J. And then I, and, and he was smiling. Oh, my. He, was, he had a wide smile on his face most of that first half as he's piling up. The energy was great on the sideline. You would never know that, okay, they're playing out the string. But then we found out after the game, at least you were the one who let me know, that <laughs> – there might have been yet another reason there was a smile on the face of J.J. Watt. It is going to be a very, very Merry Christmas for J.J. Watt. ESPN's Field Yates tweeted a couple of different times during the course of that game. Bottom line is Watt earned himself almost $1 million Hello. with that three-sack performance. According to Field Yates, J.J. Watt had a $500,000 incentive for surpassing seven sacks. Ding. $200,000 incentive for surpassing eight sacks. Double ding. And another $200,000 incentive for surpassing nine sacks. And the triple ding. So $900,000 because right now J.J. Watt has himself nine and a half sacks this season, more than he did his previous two seasons combined. He looks very much like a player, one, who has not mailed it in, and two, is looking at next season as well. I'm still... I still want to play. It might not be here, but I still want to play. He's shown that he still has it. Again, and I'll go back to what you said in training camp when you look at the defense. Give me a healthy J.J. Watt. If J.J. Watt can stay healthy all season long, Paul, J.J. Watt has stayed healthy all season long, even in the light of the fact that he had to have his heart restarted oh. earlier this year. Yeah. And then three days later played a game. What did that say to the locker room? When the guy had to have – basically they had to take out the jumper cables, right, and, and jumpstart his heart, and then there he is out on the field three days later. So, yeah, knock on wood, paper product that is my notebook right now about the rest of the season and staying healthy. You don't get better as a team letting your best defensive lineman walk in the off season. So I, I don't care what his age is. There are certain guys who defy that number, and his play has certainly done that. And as a first-time father – you know, that always brings a little extra motivation even to, to a lot of guys. So I see that in J.J. Watt. Hopefully maybe they really like Arizona and they're not all that willing and there might maybe just be a little extra incentive to not have to pick up and transplant themselves cross-country. But now with his extra million-dollar bonus, holiday bonus, he can definitely afford a moving company. He can definitely afford the $400 dog-washing service that we heard Zach Allen refer to on Hard Knocks. So... Yeah, the uh, but it is fun watching him play, and 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 then the way guys are acting to him on the bench, you know, it's it's basically JJ and the backups is what it was on the defensive line because of the way everyone was around him, and uh, you know, I think I think he enjoys that role as well, and he had some great comments at his locker. Craig Darren Urban asked him about what you tell say to the team, and I asked Darren after the game. I said, "Did you have knowledge that JJ addressed the team in the locker room?" He said, "No, I just." figured he had something to say well he did and he did address the entire room after the game and just told guys look the reality is we're out of the playoffs 
The reality also is that everything you put on film is is your resume and will be examined, and you got to find a way to stay a professional and, and bring it down the stretch. And and look, we can talk about okay, he's 33, and is that really where you're going on a team that most realistically could be looking at a serious rebuild? Now, there's a lot of talent. I don't know what exactly is going to happen in the off season, but there's a difference between parting ways with a Jordan Phillips and a J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt makes everyone better around him. J.J. Watt is truly a voice of leadership and is truly an example in that locker room. He is more than just a player, more than just a name on a depth chart in value to that team. Unlike someone else you let walk, like a Jordan Phillips, who really was addition by subtraction in a lot of ways. So when you're trying to assess J.J. Watt and whether he fits with a team that might be in rebuild mode, Think of his impact on younger players and how he really does go a long way in holding everyone else accountable in that room. Look no further than Zach Allen, who did not play yesterday, but certainly has had a career year his past two seasons. He's only gotten better. Now Zach Allen is going into his free agent offseason as well. He got a decision there, which I don't think there is a decision, but the question is, who's the decision maker? Who's making those decisions saying, yes, I need player A back now will part ways with player B because there is so much uncertainty and this might be the most uncertain offseason in recent memory and I think I've said that in prior years going into an offseason given the number of questions but you're talking about not only on the field but on the sideline and in the front office. Like take Zach Allen, for example. I find it somewhat mystifying and confounding that he's not currently under contract long term. Hasn't everybody seen enough on Zach Allen? You would have think. He he may not play another snap the rest of this year. I have no idea what his real status is with that hand injury. Who knows? Doesn't matter. You've seen enough. You know that he is a standout defensive lineman in this league, period. He still has upside. Uh, he's still evolving. He does – all the right things. He's not under contract. So if you're Team Zach Allen right now, uh, how much more willing are you to examine the open market? You're already there, essentially, in a lot of ways. Why not see what you might get out there? Now, could they potentially franchise him? Obviously. But does that make sense financially for the team and where they are under this cap, especially since that payment to the quarterback is going to balloon this coming season? So, yeah, it's some of those things where I just find it – Byron Murphy. Now, what is the status of his back? I have no idea. You just pray and hope that it's not something that actually impacts the rest of his career. But I think over the first half of the season, you saw enough to know that he's your number one corner and you probably would be well served to get him under a long-term deal. And that neither one of those have happened. So to your point about, okay, the new decision maker that comes in, whether it's an Adrian Wilson, whether it's a Quentin Harris, whether it's from the outside, who knows? Yeah, these are things they have to address immediately, if you ask me, because there are pieces, there are parts. This was an 11-win team last year. There is talent in there. Uh, you know, are they are they doing less with more than they did a year ago? Obviously, based on the record. How much of that has to do with injury? How much of that has to do with other factors? Let's be honest. How much of the offseason has impacted the in-season play? The off-season drama. Vance Joseph mentioned that six weeks ago or so, that you know, the off-season was nonstop with drama and tragedy and distractions. 
How much of that carried into this season? Don't know. No one knows. There's there's no concrete way to assess it, but obviously it wasn't all ball the all year, put it that way. It's been one thing after another. There's been hardly a week that has gone by where something, whether on the field or off the field, doesn't pop up, and then players are having to ask about it or get asked about it and then put forth answers. So this season is winding down. For some, it can't get here soon enough but again you're talking about three more games and beginning on Christmas night the Tampa Bay Buccaneers come to town that is a 6:20 kickoff Sunday night football 1:30 pregame coverage begins on the Arizona Cardinals radio network and not so much a distraction here Paul but another another wrinkle in this matchup you're on play-by-play uh, let me just uh, full disclosure right off the top all right there's a public service announcement Pauly PSA I'm not Paulie Pash. I'm most definitely not the great Dave Pash. So go easy. It's Christmas for Pete's sake, people. Okay? So there there will be errors. Uh, there will be blood, uh, my own, out there on the airwaves. Uh, we'll give it our best shot. But Dave Pash is the classic, the classic guy. Those who do it best make it look easy, that is Dave Pash. He is so good at what he does. And we know we've been listening to him for 20 years now. And uh, so we give it our best shot. It might have the feel of a pre. It'll be like a preseason game in some ways, featuring Tom Brady. It'll <laughs> will be a weird dynamic. And why is it that I usually get these weird assignments? It was 2020, where COVID and COVID hit Passion Wolf, and I was in there. That was the C.J. Beathard game, second to last game of the year, and that had a preseason energy to it. It was so lackluster, and the Cardinals lost that game. Then they lost the season finale at the Rams and John Wolford the following week. Then last year was the Christmas Eve game against the Colts, and uh, that was a loss at home. So, you know what? Hopefully this isn't the pash factor that we created years ago, uh, coming all the way back to haunt yours truly. It is the season of giving, and Dave Pash has given you the perfect gift because what would be better than the Arizona Cardinals beating Brady and the Buccaneers? By the way, Tom Brady, his first ever regular season game, his first ever regular season appearance inside State Farm Stadium. No. Two Super Bowls, but he has never played a regular season game at State Farm Stadium. His last visit to Arizona, 2004, at Sun Devil Stadium, week two, and it was Larry Fitzgerald's rookie season. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Think about that. Think of how long ago that was, 2004 at Sun Devil Stadium, and Tom Brady was the quarterback at that time. But you're absolutely right because New England came into the Monday night game having played more Super Bowl games at State Farm Stadium than regular season games, and the one regular season game they had played, Jimmy Garoppolo was the quarterback, the season opener 2016. 16, yeah. 16. So All the expectations yep. going into that year, wow. week one, Patriots come in and no Brady, no Gronk, and well, let's just say it was the Patriots yeah. who came out on the right end of that one. And by the way, speaking of quarterbacks, can we cease and desist with a Kyler Murray forecast? He hasn't <laughs> even had surgery yet, and we're already getting conflicting forecasts out there. You know, we have one from Schefter yesterday that said six to eight months on track to be ready for the 2023 season. NFL Network is going with, look, it's a clean ACL tear. And then other doctors on Twitter are saying you can't have a clean ACL tear when you also have meniscus damage. And so they're saying it's a nine-month recovery for NFL Network. We'll go into next season. I mean, nobody knows. Nobody. But 
this is this is going to be a big part of the offseason. Just the abject speculation and forecasts for Kyler Murray, some more responsible than others, as to what the Cardinals are going to have in the way of their franchise quarterback by the time next September rolls around. We'll definitely make for an interesting offseason, but before we get to the offseason this week, Christmas, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, much more on that matchup as the week progresses here. And on that note, we will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro. For Paul Calvisi, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.